You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So today's the day in the traditional church calendar that we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. But the fact that Jesus was baptized was more than just a little bit controversial in the early church because John the Baptist came proclaiming a baptism of repentance. He's like, come, repent from your sins and get baptized. So Jesus went and got baptized, except Jesus didn't sin. So that's a little problematic. And so the early church kind of struggled with that conundrum. It was a little embarrassing, at least for some of them, that Jesus would get baptized when John the Baptist was baptizing people for forgiveness of sins. And so they they dealt with that conundrum in a variety of ways. So you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament? Well, there were a lot of other Gospels that were also written. One of them is titled The Gospel to the Hebrews. And this is how the gospel to the Hebrews dealt with the baptism of Jesus. It says this. This is the gospel of Hebrews. The mother of the Lord and his brothers say to Jesus, John the Baptist is baptizing for the remission of sins. Let us go and be baptized by him. Jesus replies, in what way have I sinned that I should need and go and be baptized by him? Now that is a straightforward response, right? It's a shame that that gospel didn't make it into the New Testament because that would have settled it. Look, I haven't sinned. I don't need to get baptized. What are you people talking about? But the four gospels that we do have, the ones that the church has recognized as being inspired by God, the ones that we call our scripture, are not quite so coy. I mean, Mark is the bluntest, right? He just says, John the Baptist was baptizing for the remissions of sins, and Jesus went and got baptized. (laughs) Matthew kind of softens it just a bit. Matthew adds this phrase in there. He says that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So there was something something else that was going on um, in the story here. There's an early church thinker. His name is John Chrysostom. John said, and I, I love this, he's like, look, God was so committed to identify with humanity in the incarnation of Jesus that he wasn't just going to identify with the best parts of us. He was going to identify with every part of us. Look, if if Jesus is willing to die naked on a cross, that's a humiliating death. Then at the least, he's, he's willing to identify with the sinful in baptism. That was, that was Chrysostom's uh, approach to it. J- the Gospel of John avoids the topic. Like, that's what we do sometimes if we have an embarrassing topic, we just don't talk about it. So, John avoids the topic because they, he talks about John baptizing, and then he has John the Baptist announcing, Behold the Lamb of God. But it never actually mentions that Jesus got baptized. Luke, which is the, the lectionary text for today, is a little closer to Mark. Luke never says, uh, excuse me, Luke speaks of Jesus' baptism, though he doesn't explicitly state that it was John who baptized him. Gregory the theologian, I think, also, uh, he also addressed this, and, and I love what he had to say. 
He said this, look, when Jesus does something, that doesn't make Jesus in any way unholy. It makes whatever Jesus does holy. So if, if you think about it in terms of the woman with the issue of blood, right? She was spiritually, she was religiously unclean according to the law. So according to the Jewish religion, she was spiritually kind of unfit to be in public. So as she goes out and every person that she touches as she's pushing through the crowd is becoming spiritually unclean, unfit to come to the synagogue, uh, needing to go and be purified before, she comes to before they come to worship. But then as she pushes through the crowd, she eventually touches Jesus. And according to the law, Jesus should have become unclean, right? Except that's not what happened. When she touched Jesus, not only did he not become unclean, she became clean. And not only did she become clean, but she became well. She was healed. So that <clears throat> Gregory then says it's much the same with baptism. When Jesus goes down into baptism, it's not Jesus that's getting sanctified. It's the water that's getting sanctified. Like Jesus actually makes hallow, makes holy the very elements that the rest of us participate in in these types of actions. Let's look a little closer at Luke's account of this story. Luke says this. This is the, the story of the baptism of Jesus. As the people were, fill, were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his th uh, threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So there seems to be two, two different baptisms that are taking place here. There's John's baptism, a baptism in water, and there's this other baptism, this baptism that Jesus is going to do. So John the Baptist is the one who baptizes in water, but Jesus the Christ is the one who will come and baptize in spirit and in fire. So let's just talk about those two things, about about water baptism and this other baptism of Jesus, the spirit and fire. So we'll start with water baptism. So just curious, how many of you have been baptized in water? Right, well, quite a few of you. Now, I'm also curious, how many of you have been baptized more than once in water? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not uncommon. And so Christians have practiced this in a variety of ways over the years. Uh, some baptized their infants, uh, the Catholics, Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Episcopals. And interestingly, I just learned this uh, recently, the Pentecostal holiness. Right, there's a Pentecostal holiness church in the town that I grew up in, and they also baptized their infants. That was, that was news to me. Others, uh, my tradition and the way we kind of pr have practiced it here at Oasis, is a believer's baptism. It's a baptism that happens when someone professes publicly, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to follow him. And then, then we baptize them, right? So... 
the church um, has traditionally only believed in a, a kind of a once and for all baptism, uh, water baptism, right? So it's something that you would do once, and then whether it was done as an infant and later confirmed in your confirmation classes, or done as a, an adult or a young adult, perhaps, it was kind of, it represented you being born again, right? It was your new birth, your new creation. And so that's why it was practiced once. Because while those who have sinned kind of since their baptism, uh, they don't need to be baptized again, right? Because that was kind of the, the, single, the single event. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians as well. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So the Christian creeds have also said this, that we believe in one baptism. Now, this practice of rebaptism is something that happened uh, largely in the Reformation. There were those who kind of felt like the, the traditional church, the Catholic church, which had baptized their infants, had not necessarily kind of done all they should do in regards to um, the confirmation and kind of the public belief. And so there were a group of people, they were called the Anabaptists, and they would rebaptize people even though they had been kind of baptized as infants. And so the way it's often been practiced in the Anabaptist tradition and elsewhere in kind of the broader evangelical church is that baptism is this kind of public statement of faith, and if you hadn't made one in a while, it was okay to kind of, kind of do it again. So my point today is, is not to argue whether or not we can and should practice rebaptism, but just to, just to talk a bit about that. If you identify as a Christ follower, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and you're, you're seeking to follow him and you've not been baptized, then let me know uh, because this is the season. Right? This is the season of surprise. This is the season of expectancy. This is the season where God is manifest. And this is the season of all seasons in, in, the, in the church calendar to, to be baptized. So if that, if that hasn't happened, then by all means, uh, let's, let's, let's do that. So let's talk a little bit then now about Jesus' baptism. Because when we're baptized in water, we're practicing the same thing as John the Baptist was doing. We're confessing our sins we're being baptized, and we're seeking then to live in a kind of post-baptismal life, right? Kind of forsaking those uh, sins and those, that, that style, but that lifestyle. But John said that the one who was coming after him would be baptizing not in water, but in spirit and in fire. Now, you all know that I grew up as an Appalachian Pentecostal. And in Appalachian Pentecostalism, we know a lot about spirit and fire, right? Yeah, so praise the Lord. But what's interesting about this passage, and early in the Luke's Gospel, is that fire here doesn't seem to mean fervency. It seems to mean judgment. That it says that he'll, he'll baptize, Jesus will baptize in spirit and fire, and then it uses this analogy of a winnowing fork. So a winnowing fork is like a pitchfork, right? So if you imagine, uh, what's, what's the, the famous uh, American Gothic, you know, the, the couple, and he's holding the pitchfork, yeah? 
So imagine there's this big pile of grain, and the farmer is going to take the pitchfork and stick it in the grain and toss it up in the air. It's going to do it again and again, and as that happens, the lighter wheat will kind of float down to the side, and the heavier stalk, the chaff, will just kind of fall straight down. And so you end up with two piles. And one pile is the wheat, which you'll use to make bread, and the other pile is the leftover stalk, and you'll just throw them in the fire. And so to be baptized with spirit and fire is both to be saved and used and also to be burned up. Now, there's this um, idea, right, when I was growing up, that Jesus, as he came, was just doing that. He was kind of... Uh, differentiating the groups. So he was going to kind of save some and he was going to burn some, right? And so you don't want to be the burned some. You want to be the save some. So you come to the altar today and we'll make sure you're in the save some, not the burn some, and then next week we'll baptize you, right? Except that I don't think it's quite so simple. I think when Jesus comes into our lives... We are saved, and we are burned. That the coming of Jesus will judge us. If you think that Jesus can come into your life, and somehow that not correct the way you live, change the way you think, Jesus is not just here to put a little stamp on you so you, could, so you don't have to go to hell. That's like having the fast pass at Disney, right? You have the fast pass, so you don't have to wait in the long line. You get to go in the short line. Jesus came to transform us, and that transformation comes in a baptism that is with spirit and with fire. I think that Jesus is doing that. When, Jesus, when John says that Jesus is coming to baptize us with spirit and with fire, I think we're going to get both of those. I think we are going to be judged by Jesus. And I think that fire that's coming is it, it's destructive in a way, but it's not utterly destructive to us because it it refines us, it purifies us. That that the spirit that comes, it gives us life, and the fire comes and it fine-tunes, refines, transforms, changes. And that that's what we can expect. You see, the passage that uh, Luke is paired with traditionally in the church comes with this passage from Isaiah that also talks about water and fire. Isaiah says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Our call to worship today from from the Psalms, ascribe to the Lord glory, because God is over the waters. He's over the troubled waters, the lightning, the fire. God's in charge of that too. And so what I want you to know, what I want you to believe, is that to be filled with the Spirit and with fire, is, is a life that is both filled with joy and hope and also filled with uh, 
correction and sorrow and transformation. As Chris was saying earlier, as we came to the table, when you, when you regularly eat with people, you learn things from them, right? You, you don't just learn things about them, right? You have an impact on them, and, and they have an impact on you. And the impact, then, that Jesus has on us is just that. Going back to water baptism, water baptism, it's, it's sweet and it's lovely, right? And we celebrate it, and, and we come, and we're like, this person has professed their faith in Jesus. Let's, let's celebrate. They're going public with their faith. But it's also kind of a dangerous idea. I mean, think about it in terms of how we practice it. The minister takes the person and pushes them under the water. When I was in seminary, it was one of, the, you know, they, one of the things they teach you is what to do, and then one of the things they teach you is what not to do, right? And so I was in a course on pastoral theology, and the professor was telling a story of a minister who was in a tradition that baptized infants where they just sprinkled the water, but someone in that church wanted to be immersed, and so he came to this man, my, my, my seminary professor, and said, look, I have a parishioner. Uh, they want to be immersed. I'm not used to that. Can you kind of tell me what to do? And so, you know, the, my professor kind of walks, walks them through the process of immersion. And so he decides to go to the service uh, because it was a little atypical for this church to practice immersion. So they went to the service to see it happen. And so they, they have a pool up there, and the minister takes the person and submerges them in the water and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Eventually, you know, they pull the guy up, and he's like gasping for air. They're supposed to say the formula first and then just go down and up, right? Somehow that had been lost. Somehow that had been lost in it. So it's potentially dangerous, right? You're being pushed under the water. You can't breathe under there. Now, we don't hold you down there, generally, all right? And if, if you do plan on being baptized, I just want to tell you, that's, we don't practice it that way. Right? I mean, we do submersion, but we don't hold you down, yeah? But there is this imagery in, in, in immersion that I love because Paul will say this. He says, to be baptized is to, like go, to go into the grave. It's like being dead, dead to yourself, right, dead to sin. And to be raised out of the water is, you know, it says, when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, yeah? And, and the Spirit descends. So when you come up out of the water, you're, you're like him. Uh, a few, a while back, we were talking about baptism, and we mentioned this. This idea comes from Bob Ekblad. Uh, he says that Jesus' baptism... And this goes back to the earlier statement, too, about what, what's going on with Jesus being baptized, yeah? Um, Jesus' bapti baptism, Bob will say, is, is so different from the other kind of heroes of the biblical story. So like Noah, right, is, is, is the main character, the protagonist of the flood story, right? But Noah is saved from the flood. Noah doesn't get wet, yeah? We have, we have the ark. And then Moses. We get two Moses stories, both of which is Moses being saved from the water. In his infancy, right, he's put in the basket, and he's protected from the water. 
Or at the crossing of the Red Sea, the sea is parted and no one's getting wet again, right? They're protected from the water. The water comes back in and it floods Pharaoh's army. But Jesus, when Jesus comes to the water, he's, he's not protected from it. He goes down into it. He is baptized by John the Baptist. He goes down into the water, and down under the water there, he's, he's identifying with all of us, with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army and the rest of us sinners. And then when he comes out, we, when we're baptized, then can come out with him. He comes out, and he's the, as, as the Revelation will refer to him, he's the firstborn of the dead. Right, the first one to be resurrected. He's, he's the king of the kingdom. He's leading us into, into a new world, into a new land, the kingdom of God. God does not forsake us in the water. God does not forsake us in the fire. Even if the fire is coming from God, there is a new thing that's being done. The passage that, uh, for this week that comes uh, from the New Testament but not the Gospels is in Acts 8. And this is really going to resonate with my fellow Pentecostals in the room. It says this. In Acts chapter 8 it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as of yet, the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean, this kind of reception of the Spirit? And is it, is it different than our initiation? Is it uh, something other than this baptism of Spirit and fire that, that Jesus does, that at our conversion or our initiation when we kind of become Christians. Certainly, again, in my tradition, we were taught such. And I do believe that the Spirit is active in the life of believers and that <clears throat> Christianity is not reducible to just the decision that you make. That would, that, if, if Christianity was reducible to your decision, then somehow Christianity is primarily about you and, and the decisions that you make when I think it's primarily about God and the work that God is doing. Scripture will tell us that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. The psalmist will say, salvation is mine, says the Lord. It is the work of God in the world. It is the work of God in our lives that brings us to repentance, that brings us to confession and profession about Jesus. So what might this be in Acts 8? This, they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, but they had not yet received the Spirit. I don't, I don't think it means that somehow it's possible to be Christian and Spirit-free. I think all Christians are filled with the Spirit of God. I think the Spirit of God is actually involved in all people. Because I, I don't think we live apart from the Spirit. Like, you show me somebody who's breathing who's somehow independent of God, right? I think God is the giver of life. 
And so everyone, in some way, has the Spirit. There's a 17th century German mystic who would say, God is everywhere. We've heard that before, right? The omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. And he would say, God is also in the heart of the unregenerated person. (laughs) If God's everywhere, God has to be there too. So we're not saying that somehow it's possible to be Christian and spirit-free, but perhaps we are saying that if it's not reducible to just a decision, then the work of the Spirit is something that's ongoing in our lives so that we can be filled and poured out and filled and poured out and filled and poured out. So that to be baptized in the Spirit, to be immersed in the Spirit, to be immersed in fire is something that's not just kind of a a, a one-time thing. It's something that God does to us kind of again and again. It enables us. It empowers us. Maybe to speak with more boldness in our witness. Or maybe to speak in supernatural ways. Prophecy and interpretation. But there's a few caveats that I want to say Uh, particularly for for those of us who kind of grew up in the tradition, the Pentecostal tradition. And uh, I'm pulling some of these ideas from a lecture I heard last fall by Chris Green, uh, my friend. So if somehow we tell the story of being baptized in the Spirit, and at the end of it, it sounds like those who are are more elite than those who aren't, then, then something's wrong. If you think the self-giving, self-sacrificing God, if you think the Son of God who, who had equality with the Father but chose not to hold on to it, but was utterly emptied even to the point of becoming a human and was utterly dependent even to the point of dying on a cross, if you think to be like Him is to lord it over others, then that's not the God we're talking about. To be baptized in the Spirit is to be made more like Christ. To be more like Christ is to be a servant of all. And so somehow this use of the Spirit, right? The, the Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. And this, this process as Jesus is baptizing us in the Spirit is filling us with joy and life and energy, and it's purifying our hearts so that we can be kind of present with love and compassion to others. And it's that we might be used. It's difficult to use a vessel that's full other than what it's full of. And we, I think, are often full of ourselves. And the filling of the Spirit kind of empties us of our ego. The filling of the Spirit is so that we now become vessels of the Spirit. So that that can be poured out on someone else. And when it is, we find ourselves empty again. And so Jesus fills us again. Those of you who have walked in the faith for a long time, I know you've experienced this in your lives. you found times in your lives where you felt like you were full of the presence of God and things were just overflowing in your life 
And you've also found times when you felt utterly spent and completely empty. And all of those times are times of the Spirit. Because the coming of the Spirit is filling and emptying. And filling and emptying. Being used by God and for God. It's what it means to be holy. To be sanctified. Means to be set apart for use. These are holy utensils. They are set apart for the use of the serving of communion. And I particularly like the way it looks today, right? Unset. This is like after the meal, you know, when we're all just kind of sitting around, we're going to watch a little TV or catch up with one another. We've yet to clean up the dishes. And it doesn't look like it does when things get started. It looks like it does when things are wrapping up. Because we're family. Because we have these expectations. Look, <clears throat> this is something that's easy to talk about, but uh, not so easy to practice. And one of the challenges things, I think, when it comes to practicing this, is it's not something that we do. I mean, if it was simply something that we could do, right, if I could fill myself with the Spirit of God, then maybe by my own virtue or by my own effort or by my own free will, I could just do it. But it doesn't work that way. So, so how does it work? We come and we pray. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I want to be filled with your presence. I want to see as you see. I want to hear as you hear. I want to respond like you would respond. I want to be a person of compassion and forgiveness. I want to be a person who, who, who stands up for justice and against injustice. I want to be a person who doesn't uh, respond out of impatience or arrogance or my own ego. I want to be like you. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.